believe we're already five weeks into our two service times into Afrikaans and English service, and we finished our series on habits, and now we're starting a series on relationships. Why? Because it is the month of love. It's February. It's Valentine's Day. I hope you celebrated it well. I hope you enjoyed it. But we're starting the series, and our title, Hashtag Relationship Goals, is a very interesting one. If I say hashtag relationship goals, and you're kind of like, Lou, what's the hashtag about? What's this thing? Then you are probably frozen for the last 10 years of your life. Because hashtags are something we use on social media to kind of group ideas together. So if I take a beautiful picture of my dog and I say hashtag puppies of Instagram, and then someone else takes a picture of their dog and they say hashtag puppies of Instagram, the moment I search for that hashtag, all of those pictures will be grouped together from millions of people around the world, and I will get an idea of what the puppies of Instagram looks like. Now, the same thing happens with relationships. And you get people that use this hashtag, hashtag relationship goals, to kind of show the world how idyllic and how beautiful and how perfect their relationships are. So normally, these are some of the first ones I saw when this hashtag started. And that is, that is often these super fit people. And like the guy would like lie on his back with his hand in the air, and then the lady would like balance with one hand like on his hand and the pot of flowers on her head and like something else, you know, and I'm like, that's amazing. They'd be like, hashtag relationship goals. Or you would get someone that, that, that takes a picture of like a thousand roses in the office and just like, hashtag relationship goals, look at my awesome boyfriend, he just spoiled me with all these flowers, and it looks so pretty, right? Hollywood relationships, if you watch The Notebook, it's so pretty, even the toughest guy on earth would cry, and if you haven't watched it, go and watch it, it's not too late, Valentine's Day is just like behind us. Hollywood makes relationships seem so beautiful and so pretty and so perfect. And even the relationships coming out of that, we look at that and we're like, oh, it's so beautiful. She got a wedding ring the size of a chicken egg or an ostrich egg if they really have a lot of money. She can't even wear the thing. It's too heavy. And we look at it and we're like, we wish our relationships were like that. But then two years down the line, it falls apart and everyone is crying and they're like, what went wrong? The interesting part is when we use this hashtag, People show us one snippet of a moment that they think is ideal and perfect. What we don't see is why the guy sent her the thousand roses. We don't see the fight they had last night that led them to almost a relationship almost ending. They don't post a picture of the fight. They're like, like, hashtag relationship goals. Look at our beautiful fight last night. No, throwing saucers and whatever at each other's heads. You don't see that. You just see the beautiful part of it. But often, we start comparing ourselves to these relationships, and we wonder why our, our relationships are not that good. Why are our relationships not that pretty? But the reality is that relationships are not always that easy or that beautiful. In fact, we live in a country where relationships are really, and I think a lot of the world, where relationships are pretty much in a mess. The, the divorce rate, although officially it's not sitting there, but you can ask any teacher, about 50% of the children in a class would come from a home, a single parent home. In South Africa, 70% of our children are growing up with absent fathers. There was initially like all these movements against child and, and women abuse, and now there's like people like, whoa, husbands are also being abused. Go and ask Yolanda, you know, she can throw a nasty punch. So I need some of them on my side. But now there's suddenly people going on about like 
about abuse towards husband and husbands and men and this like everything is broken and everything is messed up. Our children grow up with broken relationships when it comes to their parents. Husband and wives get divorced, and if you like, Louis, but the kind of the divorce rate has been there for years. It's not going up, so that's a good thing, right? No, because the marriage rate is actually going down. People are just not committing; they're not marrying. So that way, I can walk out of a relationship without being tied down by anything. So actually, relationships are just unraveling faster and faster. And this is my question. Why do our relationships struggle so much? Why is there like this breakdown of the relational fiber in our world? And I think this is, this is the main thing. Because relationships are not easy. Because people are not easy. We're not perfect. And in this series, we're going to do three topics. We're going to look at three very hard truths about relationships, about why we struggle, and then we're going to look at three foundations that can help us, that we can build into our lives, that will help our relationships flourish and become all God wants it to be. So today, the first part of our topic is relationships are messy. Relationships are messy. People are not perfect. Relationships does not always have the hashtag relationship goals next to it. Sometimes it's hashtag messy relationships. Relationships are not easy. It's messy. And what I'm going to do this morning, I want to read you a scripture from the Bible that you probably know by heart, even if you didn't grow up in church. Why? Because whenever you go to a, a wedding, they would probably, the chances are like 80% that they're going to read from this passage. If you're watching a movie and there's a wedding going on on the movie, they are probably reading from this passage because it doesn't specifically talk about Jesus, but very specifically about love. It's kind of like we're not an assault, we're not like, there's no insult towards someone else who might not be a Christian. So they use this to describe what love should be like. Yeah, now, if you want to put a hashtag relationship goals behind anything, it should be behind this scripture. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open to 1 Corinthians 13. If you don't have it, it's going to be on the screen. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 from verse 4 to 7. And I am reading from the New Living Translation. In verse 4, Paul writes this. Paul is the author of the book Corinthians. He says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. That's what we're going to read. Because when I read this, I'm like, that is so impressive. Like, love seems so good. It seems so beautiful. I just want to, like, hashtag relationship goals this passage. But when I think about reality, I'm like, I don't know if I have this kind of love. So I want you to quickly play a game with me. I want you to imagine someone that you say you love, but there's a couple of criteria things that you have to think about. They have to be in your life for more than three years, Okay. Because if it's like, oh, my relationship was so pretty, it's probably because you've been dating for two days and you're still just like in love and that's it. So they have to be in your life for at least three years. You have to have a close relationship, so like talking on the phone every day, living really close to each other, or they're in your house or whatever. So imagine 
get the picture of someone like that. It could be a husband, a wife, it could be a partner, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a brother, a sister, a father, a mother, whatever. Even a dog. No, not dogs. Dogs are too good. Okay, so get someone in your mind, and then um, I, want, I want to go through a couple of these things on the list. So the first thing he says, love is patient. When I think about my own relationship, and I want to ask you as well, when lost, did you lose your patience? It's like you walked into the bathroom and again, the toothpaste was squeezed from the middle and not the bottom. Or the toilet paper is hanging like with a little flap against the wall instead of in the front. And you're like, didn't I tell you a thousand times to put the toilet roll the right side around, right? And we get frustrated. When lost did you lose your patience? When did you get snippy? Another one that he uses, it says it's kind. So when lost did you get frustrated about little things like that? You didn't put the, the, the um, like lid on the thing properly, and now it's a mess, and the whole kitchen is dirty. I'm so frustrated with you. He goes on, and it's, he says, love is not boastful or proud. And I'm like, we're not boastful or proud, are we? I'm sure you're like, I'm not. I don't think I am. But think about this. Do you often assume the worst of that person? Do you often just draw a negative, come to a negative conclusion no matter what they do? You know why we do that? Because we are boastful and proud. Because we believe that we are better than that person. And you're like, no, Louis, I don't believe that. But you do believe you can cook better than them. Or you do believe you know how to squeeze the toothpaste better than them. Do you know why we've got road rage? Because we believe that I'm the best driver on the road and the other people don't know what they're doing. So I get angry. Because I'm actually boastful and proud. It says love does not demand its own way. Like, I never do that. Your husbands, do you get home, kick your shoes off, put your, just throw your socks on the ground, go and take a seat on the couch and ask your wife, honey, where's the beer? That is when you, when you want things to go your way. You're like, I don't care what kind of day she had. I want things to go my way. It's, it's a problem we all have, right? It goes on to say it's not irritable. So whenever I do pre-marriage counseling, I don't ask people like, what's wrong with the other person or something like that? Because they will always be like, no, nothing. They're so perfect. That's why we're getting married. But when I say, what irritates you? Then there's like a list. They don't close the, the cupboard doors. They put their clothes everywhere. It's a mess. This, this, this. And they've got this whole list. Like they can't drive properly. And there's this whole list. When else did you get irritated? Like your fuse just gets a little short, right? There's another one that he says, it doesn't keep record of being wronged. South Afrikaans is saying, don't go and get old cows out of the ditch. And what does that mean? It means don't go back to things that happened in the past and bring them into the present. Like, I don't do that. But you have a fight over the toothpaste, right? Because it was squeezed from the wrong side. And then you're like, but honey, it's just one thing. No, no, no. Do you remember last year when you scratched the car? I also told you not to park that close to the wall. And do you remember the time before that when you lost your wedding ring because you didn't take it off at the gym? That's like, that's like getting old cows out of the ditch. That is remembering the wrong. And then last one is it doesn't give up. It endures. Doesn't what is so sad to me is often when you speak to people and a relationship is really falling apart, there's oftentimes some kind of difficulty in their lives. One of the main reasons why people fight in marriages is because of, what? guess what, money. 
And it's so sad to me that often when a family goes through a financial crisis that the paths just part. And I'm like, why? Because love is supposed to endure. We're supposed to be there for each other in tough times. But it's sometimes easier walking out of a bad situation than sticking to it. So when I read this, I'm like, I really want to love this way. I want to love my wife like that. I want to be patient and kind and not jealous and not boastful. But when I think about my own life, the way I love people, often the way I love them is in direct. It's the direct opposite of what Paul just said. I am irritable. I am boastful. I am proud. I, I am not always kind. And I'm like, why? Why do I do that? And I think this is the thing. Whenever you put two flawed people together, it won't take long to form a list of complaints that will threaten to pull the relationship apart. You put two flawed people together and suddenly, when they're together long enough, not when you're dating for a week, when you've been together for quite a while, the flaws start showing. They irritate me. He's so proud. She speaks so much. Whatever it might be. And those little complaints form like a chain that starts to push us apart. It's almost like two sticks. What happens when you rub two sticks together? That's how they make fire when you don't have a lighter, right? You rub two sticks really quickly together and a spark erupts. And that's what happens in our relationships. It's like two flawed people get together and then the, that tension between them just erupts in a huge fire. And my question is this. How then do we fix this messiness of relationships? Paul describes this beautiful idyllic picture. I'm like, Paul, are you like the Hollywood people? Like, what's going on? Or maybe Paul's friends and his family and everyone in his life were really easy. Like, maybe they never did anything to irritate him. I'm like, the answer is no. They did. Some of his friends that traveled with him on journeys to plant churches actually left him later because they couldn't get along. It's not that his life was perfect. It does not mean that he had the perfect way to love people. You see, but what Paul did different is he had a model of love that he followed. So instead of saying, I'm just going to love whatever way comes natural, he said, I'm going to find a model for how I want to love, and I'm going to chase that model. I'm going to chase after that model. And I want to read you two scriptures that he wrote to two different churches, the church in Ephesus and the church in Colossus, and he said a similar thing, but he talks a little bit about the model that he's using in the way that he loved, wants to love people. The first one is Ephesians 4 verse 32. He says, be kind, be compassionate to one another. It's like, yeah, that's kind of like what you said in the previous one in Corinth. He says, then forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Another one, he writes in Colossians 3, verse 13, he says, bear, so the same dude, he says, says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So this model is not because he was perfect. He gets this model from somewhere. It's like when I look at Jesus, when I look at the way he loves people, when I look at the grace he has for me, that gives me a way, suddenly I understand what love is supposed to be like, and it gives me a way to love other people that same way. So this is when you read 1 Corinthians 13. This is basically what he's saying. He says, don't treat people in a way they deserve. Because you might feel like they deserve 
for you to be irritable. You might feel like they deserve for you to go and get all of the old things out of the closet. You might feel like they deserve you going and sitting on a couch and they have to serve you. Whatever you think they deserve is like, that's not the way you're going to love them. That's not the way you're going to act towards them. He says, rather treat people, love people in a way that you were loved by Christ, that Christ treated you. So it's like, think about how you want God to love you. Think about the way that you want God to treat you and then go and love other people that way. That's his model. Because this is a model that just goes so far beyond comprehension. God showed us so much love and grace when he sent Jesus. And I think the problem is that most of us here probably grew up in a Christian home. And this is the problem. I grew up as a pastor's kid. And this is the problem when we grow up in church. We learn about a concept called grace. And it is this thing that we know in our head that means that Jesus died for me and that he rose again that I have some kind of new life. But often it stays something in my head. It's a tradition. It is something that I say I believe, but often it doesn't translate into my heart where it actually moves something in my soul. And that's why I love to see people who don't know Jesus. That's why I love to see people whose lives are all messed up and, and crazy and broken. That's why I love to see people like that finding Jesus because suddenly for them, grace is not a concept. Grace is literally the thing that not only saved them, but changed the whole life around. When Jesus died on a cross, do you know what they used to do before Jesus came? Every time someone did sin, every time someone did something that was wrong in the eyes of God, the Bible says the penalty for that is death. So it's like, I got really angry at the taxi in traffic, so now I have to die. So what did they do? They got a little lamb or a dove, depending on what the crime was, and they would kill that animal to take their punishment on itself. And God looked at us and God is like, you're going to slaughter every dove, you're going to slaughter every sheep in the world, and still you will not be okay because people, we are flawed, we are broken, we're not perfect, our relationships are not perfect. So God said, I have to send a new offering, I have to send a new perfect lamb to die in your place, and that was Jesus. Jesus is God, Jesus is man at the same time when he was on earth, he dies in our place. And do you know when he died, he didn't just die for his own mistakes, he didn't have mistakes by the way. He didn't do sin, the Bible says. He didn't just die for his family or the people living um, during the time he was on earth. He died for every single person on earth through all the ages, even people who hated him, even people who said, I don't know if I believe in Jesus, even people who said like, you know what, I call myself a Christian, but I don't really care about this stuff, even people who did sin, even people who did wrong. That is grace. Grace is about something that we do not deserve, but God is like, because I love you, I'm just going to offer this to you freely, even though you do not deserve it. The greatest gift we can ever receive is the gift of grace. Without the grace of God, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have a relationship with my Creator. I wouldn't be forgiven. I won't have a new life. I won't have a life of abundance that Jesus promised. It will all be a mess. But did you know that grace is also the best gift I can receive from someone that loves me? Do you know how great it is when you know that you push the toothpaste from the wrong side and they don't freak out on you? They just say, it's okay, I've got it. Or when you break your wife's favorite 
vase of flowers because you tried to do something good for her, but you dropped it on the ground and you're waiting for her to just get angry and tell her, like, how did you break? Why did you break my grandmother's vase? But she actually comes here and she's like, you know what? It's okay. And she takes a broom and she helps you to clean up. That's grace. And it will never be the magnitude of the grace God has for us, but it is so beautiful when another human being shows us grace. It's the greatest gift we can ever receive. And let me tell you, it's also the greatest gift we can ever give. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, Louis, I, I don't know about this grace thing towards other people, man. You don't know how much people have hurt me. You don't know how much hate I carry in my heart, how harmful they were. I don't know if I can do this. I think they deserve I think they deserve me being nasty. I think they deserve the unforgiveness that I carry in my heart towards them. I think they deserve the resentment because they've hurt me, they've been hateful to me. I, I don't wanna do this grace thing. This is the basic concept of grace. The basic concept of grace is that it isn't dependent on the worthiness of myself. It's not dependent on the worthiness of someone else. In its very essence, it is undeserved. Grace, you know what happens with grace? It believes the best about the other person. Jesus believed the best about us when he died on that cross. He, he believed that we would choose for him and that we would find freedom in the cross of Jesus and his resurrection. That's what grace does. When we have grace, grace does this. Grace finds the best in people. But this is what happens when I get irritable. The Bible talks about a hardening of our hearts. And often people get to a place in their lives where they're like, but I don't love this person anymore. I'm like, you know what happened? Your heart got hard because you got married and you were all happy, but then you got angry because she didn't close the toothpaste right. And it's like a string, like a cable that is, that, is, that is like draining the life out of your heart that's getting tighter and tighter. And then you had that fight and you couldn't forgive her. And that was another one. And, and the more you had fights, the more you started to defend yourself. So every time you defend yourself, you're building a higher wall around your heart. And every time it's like you're tying your heart tighter and tighter. And finally, it's like your heart has no more space for that person. But this is what grace does. Grace comes and it cuts through all this messiness. It cuts through the hate. It cuts through the forgiveness. And then grace gives us the opportunity. It breathes life into what is broken. It breathes life into the messiness and allows our relationships an opportunity to thrive. It cuts through the messiness of that particular situation that you guys are in. It cuts through that behavior that you hate so much in that person. It cuts through your unforgiveness. That's what grace is about. We need to receive the grace of God and we need to share the grace of God with people in our lives because when we, when we receive it and when we share it, it stops unforgiveness in its tracks. It stops hatred in its tracks. It, it stops shame in its tracks and it gives our relationships the freedom to thrive. Jesus died so that sin and unforgiveness and hatred and irritability, all those things are sin. It's not from God. God doesn't want us to be that way. And Jesus died so that we are no longer slaves, that that doesn't have power over our lives, so that he doesn't control us. And in the same way, 
God wants us in our relationship for these bad things for sin to not destroy our relationships. Grace is the scissors that cuts through all the, all the maze. What Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13 when he says love is patient and kind, it's so beautiful. It is like better than every hashtag relationship goal image that I've ever seen. That's why everyone reads it, even Hollywood movies, because it's so perfect. But let me tell you today, it is not natural. It doesn't just flow out of us because we don't love that way. We're not capable of that because we're flawed, because we're broken. And put two broken people together, there's a fire. And then we can't love like that at all. And that is why I believe the first foundation that we need in our relationships is grace. Without grace, we cannot have healthy relationships. If you go on the internet now and you Google, what is the three most important foundations for relationships? This is probably what you will find. Honesty, trust, and communication. You know what honesty is? You suck and I hate you. That's honesty. That's communication, by the way, as well, because I didn't keep it in, right? I just said it. Honestly, trust and communication is not enough. It's like, a, it's like a little band-aid that you put on a wound, but it doesn't heal the problem. So when we're talking about foundations that will help our relationships flourish, we're not talking about a band-aid. Is trust and communication and all of those things important? Yes, but that's a band-aid. We need to get to the heart. We need to get to the deeper problem, the heart of the problem. And grace is the only thing that has enough power to not only override my own mistakes, but to help me to see the best in the person that I used to love so much. It helps me to see who that person is, a child of God, a person that I really care for. But I wanna ask you, why don't you decide to rediscover grace today? Maybe you're like me and you grew up in church and it's just a concept, it's just a tradition, it's just part of who you are. Why don't you decide today to go to Jesus again and say, God, don't take, take this and move it from my head to my heart. Make it something deeper. Help me to truly understand the magnitude of your love and your grace for me. If you don't know Jesus yet, maybe it's time to take that first step and say, God, God I'm not sure about you. Come and show me something of your grace and your love, and I can assure you, he will do that. Let's make a choice to rediscover grace because only once we understand the love and the grace of Jesus can we truly have the kind of love that Paul talks about because that is love filled with grace. Kindness is grace when the other person irritates you. Not being boastful, that is grace, even when the other person is struggling with something and they can't do it as good as you. So I want to today, and I instead of doing a hashtag relationship goals this week, why don't you do a hashtag what is my goal? And this is the goal I have for this week. I want to I send you home with something very practical, a goal that you can actually go and think about and process and implement in your life. This is my goal for this week. I will breathe life into my relationships by having more grace with the people in my life. I want to have more grace with Yolandi. I want to have more grace with Abigail. 
I want to have more grace with the taxis on the road. I want to have more grace with the people who work for me. I want to have more grace with my father and my mother. I want to have more grace with my brother and my sister. I want to have more grace with my neighbor, although he's always on my case. And that way I'm going to breathe life into the relationships. But I can never do that if I do not first discover the grace that Jesus has for us. Let's pray. God, you know, you understand how much we struggle to love. It is really hard to not be irritated. It is really hard to not be angry. It's really hard to have grace. But I'm so thankful for the grace you had for me. I'm so thankful that you, that your grace cuts through my mess to be the best of who I am. I pray, Jesus, that you would teach us to love the way you love us. I pray that this week that you would shower us with grace, that it would, that it would build up to our life to such a point where it just naturally starts to overflow to every relationship in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.